Brother Reggie just recently also had a nephew who died on his birthday. That visits all of us, whether you are young, whether you are old. doesn't matter. That's why we're doing what we're doing. Imagine the young people coming together to put these events together so that we will be able to share about the love of God. Brother Alex Alonso is here. His father just passed away. We got the message from Brother Reggie, and I, I sent it out to you guys. I sent the text to Brother Alex. And praise God, three weeks, three weeks before he passed on, he accepted Jesus Christ. Can we give God the glory this morning? It is good that God gives us time. And it is good that we make good use of this time to be able to share his love with anyone and everyone willing to listen. It's still... February, my PowerPoint is still red because I'm still going to talk about love. I'm still going to talk about the attributes of God's love. Last week, we defined what love is. We read from 1 John 4, verse 10. Can we read this? In this? And from that, we drew our own practical definition of love. Love is an unconditional commitment directed towards imperfect people seeking their highest good, which often requires sacrifice. This is the love of God. Not like human love, which is selfish. God's love is selfless. People want to take away God's love gives. And He gives whether you are deserving or not. And because of our fallen nature, we are all undeserving. That's why God's love is all about grace. I share with you five aspects of God's love. God's love is proactive. God's love is protective. God's love is perpetual. God's love is perfect. But God's love is also personal. This morning, I'd like to share with you another five, believe it or not. God's love is proven. God's love is providing. God's love is patient. It is pervasive, but it is also provoking. Before we proceed, why don't we ask the Lord to be with us this morning and pray. Father God, thank you for drawing us here, bringing all of us here, Lord. To worship you, the one true God and King, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in your name and for your glory, God, we congregate as a body to listen to your word, to encourage one another, and to be with your presence. We ask you, Lord God, that you speak to all of us through the word that you've given to us. May your people not listen to me, Lord God, but to your word, for I am 
And I cannot do anything apart from your Holy Spirit. Father God, will you speak in and through me and communicate your love through your word? May we find understanding that leads to obedience. For this is our prayer, Lord God, in Jesus' name. And everyone said. By the way, I just like, did you notice our worship leaders here? Where in the whole of the United States can you see Destiny's Child leading worship? <laughs> Man! We are so blessed. You know, when I came here this morning, why are there three microphones? I, I, I thought there were only going to be two. Wow! Destiny's Child. <laughs> Praise God. This morning, God's love is proven, providing, patient, and pervasive and provoking. First, we start off with God's love is proven. First John chapter 4, verse 9. By this, the love of God was manifest. It's proven. It's manifest. By this is God's love manifest in us that God sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. It's one thing to say that you love one another. It's another thing to prove your love. Ladies, do you agree? Your husband, your boyfriend keeps on telling you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Hi, can you drive for me? No. I love you, I love you. Can you buy me this? No. I love you, I love you. When are we getting married? Duh. On the one hand, you say you love the person. On the other hand, you're not willing to make the commitment. Is that love? It's not proven love. God's love is proven. How do we know? He manifests it to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why we read from last week in Romans 5, God demonstrates His own love towards us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the kind of proven love that God is extending to us. He doesn't wait for us to change. He loves us despite ourselves. And He's not just there in His proactive love for us. He demonstrated it for us. He manifested it for us. He has proved it to us. And Paul also writes in Romans chapter 8, He who what? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also give us all things? Is God's love proven to you? You don't seem convinced. And how did God prove it to you? Do you still doubt that God loves you? He has proven His love for you. That He gave up His one and only Son. How can we say, how can we think that God is not for us? When He has proven His love, that He would send His one and only begotten Son. How can we say that God will not give us what we need? When He has proven it time and time again. And the most valuable proof, the most incontrovertible truth is that Jesus Christ died for us. 
How can he who did not spare his own son, how will he not give us everything that we need? Now don't tell God you need a brand new Mercedes Benz, a six bedroom house with a swimming pool. Those are material things. And those come and go. But the the most important thing that God has given for us is He sacrificed His Son Jesus for you and for me. God's love is a providing love. It's not only proven. It's a providing love. Now what does He provide? According to Philippians 4, can we read this? Did God? Naputo lang. You are very astute. By the way, that means you're alert. But Genesis, yeah, that's right. But what did God promise? What did God promise to provide for you? Some? All. What kind of needs? Does He promise to provide? For your needs with leftovers, with extras. Notice the verse. My God shall supply what? All your needs. According to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Don't give us leftovers. God has promised that He will provide for all of our needs. The psalmist tells us, that none of his children will be caught in the streets begging for bread. What else? Aside from your needs, what else is God promising to provide for you? God doesn't only want to give you your needs. God is also willing to give you what? The desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It is premised on your delighting in God. God's love is a providing love. What do you need? Your needs are taken care of. Your desires are taken care of. Look at what Second Peter chapter 1 tells us. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine nature has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. What do you need? What do you need for your spiritual walk? God has provided everything for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, His Son, Jesus Christ. What do you need? God is willing to provide your needs, your wants, everything you need for godliness. Well, I have challenges. There is no temptation has overtake you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape. So that you will be able to endure it also. Are you tempted? All the time? Most of the time? 
What do you need? You need a way of escape so that you don't fall into sin. What's God's commitment to you? He will provide a way out. The question, therefore, is, are we taking that way out? You know that song, when God closes the door, He opens a window. Right? Are you willing to take that escape route or not? But know that God is providing you one. James, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives all generously and without reproach, and it will what? It will be given him. Like our brother Dion, when he prepared us, our hearts for worship, he tried to look for a loophole. Is there a loophole to this verse? And what did he share with us? There's no loophole. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor rulers, nor principalities, nor anything created in the earth, under the earth, above the earth, over the earth, will be able to separate us from the love of God that we now have in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's no loophole. God's love is perfect. God's love provides everything for us. Lord, we need, we need you. We need you now. Are you like that? Have you seen this bumper sticker? Give me patience now. God's love is a proven love. God's love is a providing love. God's love is also a patient love. We know the love chapter, right? 1 Corinthians 13. Can we read this? Love is patient. Love is kind. And it's not jealous. Love does not brag. And is not arrogance. The word patient. It's a compound word. Long suffering. In the Philippines, when you have children's birthday parties, Right? And then they have this uh, game. Happy birthday! The, the longest gets the prize. Right? You can also apply that to the word patient. Long suffering. That's the word. We are impatient. Yes? Yes? Yes. But God is patient. He does not treat us according to how we treat Him. It is long-suffering. And many people, instead of appreciating this attribute of God's love, what do we do? We expect God to be patient with us, but we do not wish to extend patience to other people. We are willing to accept God's love. We are not willing to share God's love. You know why the Dead Sea is dead? There's no outlet. From Mount Hermon, the snow will melt 
it will trickle down the mountains. The waters will come into the river Jordan, out into the Sea of Galilee, back to the river Jordan, and end up in the Dead Sea. There's no outlet. So fresh water comes down and stays stagnant. And then it becomes salty. Why? There's no outlet. How dare we expect from God and we're not willing to share what He has given us. But God's love is patient. And many people still test God's patience. In Second Peter, he writes, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord the day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. That's God. Is He patient? Is He patient with us? Yes. As a matter of fact, it says in verse 9, The Lord is not slow about His promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. There are people who test God. You share about God with them. And their attitude is, well, if that's not true, or if that's true, why is this or that not happening yet? Have you encountered such people? Who think that their watch is the same watch that God has? It says, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. So what if you're praying for something and God says, wait a minute. How long is a minute? If one day is a thousand years, you do the math. I'm not going to do it for you. But the idea is long suffering. You wait. Because God's timetable is not the same as your timetable. And why is God delaying? Why is God putting off? Why is God seemingly not answering? Look at the passage. He's waiting. He's waiting for people, some of whom may be our very loved ones, to what? To repent. To turn from what they're doing and to turn to God. God's love is patient. He's waiting. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for your loved ones. And the way we can represent Christ well to our loved ones is also be patient with them. Every time I invite you, you don't come. I won't invite you anymore. How will they come if that's our attitude? Right? We have to be patient. Just as God is patient with us. Imagine 1,000 years like one day. If you're in love, time. Right? It really flies. Now, how many of you have been married for a long time? You can still remember all the details of when you first met. What he or she was wearing. What you did. Right? 
Oh, come on. Yes? You know it. You know that. You know all the details. It was like yesterday. Man, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years like the day, like one day. Time flies if you marry the right person. But if you marry the wrong person, this is your life verse. What's your second life verse? Lord, come quickly, Lord. I tell the young people, you know, the second most important decision you will ever make is whom to marry. Man, if you have the right decision about your salvation and placing it on Jesus Christ, done deal. Man, but if you marry the wrong person, you know, you have, you're going to heaven if you have Jesus Christ. But if you're married the wrong person, it's like you're living in hell. Oh, this verse is going to be real with the Lord. A day is like a thousand years. Come, Lord, quickly come. Amen? I just praise God that His love is patient. That He doesn't treat me as I would treat Him. I just love God for who He is. God's love is a proven love. God's love is a providing love. God's love is a patient love. God's love is a pervasive love. Pervasive. What does it mean? Well, I have the dictionary for us. Pervasive. Spreading wildly throughout an area or a group of people. We know from the Bible... That God loves everyone. Yes? Do we love everyone? Depends. Yes? It depends. Because man's love is conditional, whereas God's love is unconditional. God, being God, can love everyone equally. But man, because of our fallen nature, our love is conditional. I love all people for so long as they love me back. Some pastors would say, I love ministry. It's people I can't stand. (laughs) What? You love to serve, but you don't like people? Man, you should be in a call center. (laughs) Yes, good morning. How may I help? Very impersonal. You're able to help them, but very impersonal. Right? God's love is for all people. That's why we, we know from John 3.16 that for God so loved the world. Does the world include your enemy? Does the world include your best friend? God loves both equally. God loves you. God loves your friend. God loves your enemy. Look at what Jesus Christ said. And he answered You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Do you see that you are supposed to, you and I are supposed to be a channel? 
that as we receive the love of God, that we are supposed to channel this love to other people as well? In another passage in Matthew, he writes, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and what? Hate your enemy. Right? But what did Jesus do? He said, I say to you, what? Oh, now you don't want to read it. Now you don't want to read it. What does it say? Why will I pray for them? They're my enemies. Right? I'm, Pastor, I'm praying for my enemy. Really? Wow! What are you praying? That God would take them already. That's not, what, that's not the heart of what God is telling us. True story. You know, from in the Philippines, we, we handle couples. Now, you have couples that have problems. We have a couple that has a third party. There's an illicit relationship going on. My wife and I, we counsel the wife. Have you ever prayed for your husband's mistress? What? I should pray for my husband's mistress? I said, yeah. Picture this. If you pray for your husband's mistress and she gets born again, and as she gets to know her Lord, and she will realize that what she's doing is wrong, she will leave. Yes? God is wise. God is wise. So the world tells us, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That's man's love. God's love is, no, pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Why? God loves everyone. God's love is a pervasive love. He says, look at this in Hebrews chapter 10. Can we read this? By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. How many times? For whom? When you encounter the word all, what does that mean? Do I need to show you or explain to you the Greek? No. Why? All is all. When Jesus Christ died, He died for all. One time, a perfect sacrifice for anyone and everyone. And we should be praying for our enemies that they would know the love of God. Because Jesus Christ died for everyone. When Jesus Christ died, He died for all of our sins. And we must think about ways by which we will be able to share the love of God. Now, they may not come to a church. They may not come to a Bible study. They, not, they may not come to a retreat. They may not even come to Big Bear. But I submit to you 
probability and the possibility that they would come to a free meal, a birthday party, a celebration, your batting average would be higher. You agree? Let me show you what I mean. Can I call on our sister Marvik to come up here and share what, the, what she did with her birthday celebration? Good morning, everyone. My name is Marivik Lanusga. In the first 21 years of my life, I lived and grew up in Bacolod City with my grandmother, who played the dual roles of mom and dad. My father abandoned us, and my mom decided to live a life in Manila with my brother. It was my grandmother who taught me all I knew in life. She taught me the do's and don'ts in life, being kind to other people, and of course, going to church regularly. In school, I learned how to be good, study hard, obey my parents, read the Bible, pray every day, and how to be a good Christian. As I grew older, I felt a growing emptiness deep within me. There was something missing in me that I couldn't and explain nor understand. After graduation, I landed a job and lived a happy life for about four years. I was single. I had a good paying job that I loved. What else can a provinciana ask for? But why did all those things not fill the void and emptiness within me seem to be getting even worse? I went to church during Sundays and other days of obligation and even tried to read the Bible para maiba naman. But in my mind, I don't know where to start. The Bible is thick. Could I really do this? Would I even understand it at all? Despite of my hesitation, I did try opening and reading the Bible and I was right. I did not understand a single thing. As time went by, I would read from time to time, lalo na kapag walang magawa. But this time, I, I already started asking myself these questions. Is there really God? Does God really hear and answer prayers? Is this Bible really the Word of God? What makes this book different from all other books? Finally, I thought of saying things like this. Who are you, God? Could you reveal yourself to me if you are real? Could this book really show something different in my life? I don't have any idea of what I am asking or thinking about without me realizing that all those questions and thoughts were already prayers of my heart. When I read Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. The emptiness and void I felt became a challenge to know what the Bible is all about. It became a challenge for me to really seek more about God. In 1988, I met some people who helped understand what it means to have a personal relationship with God 
through His Son, Jesus Christ. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and today, 25 years after, I could not thank God enough for His continued faithfulness in taking care of me and revealing more of Himself to me through the Bible. As I continued to learn to be more dependent on God, I could clearly see His faithfulness in sustaining me through all the hostility I felt towards my family. In the past two years, I started to communicate with them and had a chance to, heart, to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with my elder brother. Through this, those small conversations, I've learned to know more of him, and I too was able to pour out of my own feelings to him. God allowed me to talk to my mother, bearing in mind that as a daughter, I have to honor my parents no matter what. I am learning to be more compassionate towards my family, and God has begun healing the wounds and restoring our relationships. I can honestly say that I am now enjoying conversations with them. I now have joy in my heart reading the Bible because it became more clear and alive. It revealed me of my, it relieved me of my doubt and gave me comfort for all my questions and struggles. God taught me how to be more considerate of others, and I am learning to obey God by being submissive and respectful of my husband in whatever circumstances we are going through. God's words continue to mold me to the kind of person that he wants me to be. Though I am still work in progress, I do believe that God never stops. He never gives up. His love never fails, and he never runs out on me. Indeed, God is truly faithful. I am so grateful to the Lord God for all the things that he has done to me. I deeply thank him for sustaining me through all those years that I experienced troubles, pains, and trials. God's caring hand and loving arms are always there for me. Surely, God is faithful and his love endures forever. Glory to God. Thank you. Where did she share that? Oh, it's easy. Yeah, but yeah, I know. Where did she share that? She recently turned 50. <coughs> she recently turned 50 years old. Marivik and some of you here, you attend with us in the Lakewood Bible Study Group on Fridays. A couple of weeks ago, they were talking about her birthday and how we would have, you know, a special dinner for her birthday. And people were talking about, you bring this, you bring that. And I happened to overhear and say, you know, people expect to celebrate your 50th, right? Usually your 25th wedding anniversary, your 50th uh, birthday. So I said, you know, why don't we make it purposeful? Use your birthday celebration as an opportunity to invite people so that you could share your testimony 
And after you share your testimony, we'll share the gospel. And we'll see what God does. You see, that's all that God expects. You see this passage behind me? It says, go therefore and make disciples. Now, how can we make disciples if we don't start by introducing them to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Now, what better way to invite people to a meal and be able to share Christ's love with them? As I said, they may not come to church with you. They might not come to attend the Lakewood Bible study or the Rosemead or the Burbank. But chances are they will go with you for a birthday meal, for a picnic. You know those, that four-letter word, so effective, F-R-E-E, free. Now, who did they invite? They invited people from their former church. They had some of church members here. But more importantly, I said, invite people who need to know Jesus. Because of this verse, this is why we exist. And look, it says, of all nations. That includes my enemy. That includes your enemy. Yes? You know that at one time, all of us were enemies of God because of our sin. But because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, He no longer considers us as enemies. But now He calls us what? His friend. He calls us His friend. Your worst enemy could be your closest friend. If this enemy of yours comes to faith in Christ. Be creative. Think about how, what occasion, what occasion can I use to invite these people so that they can have the, at least the opportunity to hear about Jesus. That's all God asks. When the sower sows the seed, he doesn't know when the, where the seed will fall. He doesn't know how they will respond but God doesn't call us to question what happens. He calls us to sow the seed. And if God allows you to sow the seed and you see the seed grow and you're able to help this person grow up in his or her relationship with Christ, then praise God. Not only were you able to evangelize this person, share the good news, but God gives you the privilege to see this person grow then you're discipling that person. And you're fulfilling the great commission. And we're doing what we're doing. Christ's commission fellowship. How many people attended? More than 80? At least 100. Food was overflowing. It was like George was telling us, wow, Pastor, what are we going to do with all this extra food? Because it was like the loaves and the fish. You prepare for so many, but so many come in. But what do people do? Filipinos. They come in, happy birthday! <laughs> right? 
They're invited to a birthday party and they bring their own food. <laughs> Just in case I don't like the food, I have my own. Some would bring dessert. Another couple brought relleno. Wow. But was it fun? Did people get mad at us that we shared part of Scripture? Did they get mad at you when you shared your testimony? No. Why? This is your story. And if you're attending the Galatians class, time and time again, I tell you, people will argue with you. They can debate with you about how you interpret the Bible, but they cannot argue with the change of life that only God is able to do in your life if you're just willing. Are you willing? Are you willing to use your life as a springboard to the gospel? Because the love of God is pervasive. It is for everyone. So let's just sow the seed and let God do the rest. It's for everyone. God's love is proven. God's love is, what's number two? What? Providing. What did He provide? All your needs, all your wants, wisdom, way of escape. Wow. What's the third one? What? You're patient? God's love is patient, right? And God's love is pervasive. God's love is all-encompassing. God is no respecter of persons. He will accept anyone from every walk of life, whatever you have done. God loves you. Let's use our life to be able to share the love of God with others. Lastly, God's love is provoking. You know, the word has a negative connotation, right? Pro- don't provoke me. Don't. Right? When you have the young infant, don't touch that, that's hot. And you see the child going to, ah, ah, I told you, I told you. Or you're training a small puppy. Sit. 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 He's just, that's listening to you. Provokes you, right? Right? Provoke. To cause. To incite. But you see some synonyms. To arouse. To encourage. To excite. To fire up. To impassion. To incite. To instigate. To move. To pick. To rev up. To spark. To stimulate. To stir. To build the fire under. So there are positive connotations of the word provoke. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews, Hebrews tells us, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That doesn't sound like provoke, does it? Well, if you look at the King James, and let us consider one another to provoke Unto love and good works. To encourage you. To stir up in you a desire for love and good works. And God wants us to live a life of good works. You love me? Yes? I love you back. Can I provoke you? Can I 
encourage you? Can I fire you up? Can I stimulate you? Service is at 10. I find this truth, it should be a law. When I sit up here and it's 10 o'clock and we begin, a miracle takes place. By 10.30, the place is full. But we start at what? 10. I'm encouraging you. I'm provoking you on towards love and good deeds. Can I provoke you some more? Are you part of a small group? One pastor cannot take care of 30 people. You will have somebody who is going to get sick. You're going to have somebody who's going to give birth. You're going to have somebody who's going to get married. You're going to have somebody who's have a new house, a new, a new business. I have not yet learned to be omnipresent. <laughs> now I can probably cut one hand off. Can you just take my hand to your event over there and the other hand over here? And I'll just be like this on Sunday. I can't. And the only way for us to be able to involve our lives into yours and your lives in ours is for you to be part of a smaller group. This is the big group meeting. But in the middle of the week, we have smaller group meetings. Be involved. Because that's where you can really involve yourselves in in real life situations. Provoke one another on towards love and good deeds. In a matter of speaking, what Marivik did with her birthday was a method of provoking these people to come. Albeit for a meal, but really the reason was to be able to share God's love with them. The best way I can provoke somebody towards God's love is to introduce that person to God's love. Because the only thing that I can do is I can provoke you. And it's your choice on how you will respond to that stimulus. I can just provide the stimulus and you provide the response. That's all I ask. That's all God asks. And here's a way to see. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Isn't that not a provoking statement? I am a follower of Jesus Christ. If you count yourself to be a sheep of the good shepherd, what's the connotation? Huh? You hear his voice. What do you do with what you hear? You follow. You obey. That is your response. So if I say that Jesus Christ is my shepherd, if I say Jesus Christ is my Lord, it means I'm listening to Him. And more importantly, I'm obeying what He's telling me. But there are times that I need help. There are times that I need people to be with me as I go through a situation. That's where discipleship comes in. That we learn from one another. We learn from the master. 
But we also learn from one another. Maybe you've learned something. Hey, I my my so and so, my birthday or my anniversary is coming up. I can do that thing too. Doesn't have to be elaborate. Doesn't have to be expensive. God's love is provoking us. Now Jesus Christ is telling us, my sheep listen to my voice. They follow me, and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand imagine all your loved ones and even your enemies coming to faith in Christ that your salvation is secure it is in the palm of Jesus Christ and if you read on through this passage God the Father's hand is holding or clutching the hand of Jesus Jesus has you but God the Father has His hand too. And who can remove you from your position in Christ? No one. God's love is provoking. It will cause you to respond. God will provide the situation to see how you will respond. And in closing, I'd like to share with you such an incident in the book of Genesis. God told Abraham he would be a father of many nations and all nations will be blessed will be blessed through his seed. The only problem was when God gave this promise to Abraham he was 75. So it's close to impossible. But God fulfilled his promise and in due time in God's perfect time Sarah gave birth to a son and they called him Isaac. So through Isaac would come the generations that will follow and eventually the seed, Jesus Christ, who would be the blessing to all mankind. But then God put Abraham's love for him to a test. He said, take your son, your one and only son whom you love, and bring him to the mountain that I will show you and there and there offer up him up to me as a burnt offering. Now, if you're Abraham, on the one hand, you're telling me, I will be a father of a great nation, and all nations will be blessed through me. On the other hand, the very vehicle of your blessing, you're asking me to sacrifice to you. It doesn't make sense. But Abraham, because of his love for God, he brought his one and only son Isaac, whom he loves, and he brought him to the mountain. And then he said, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb? Where's the lamb for the offering? Abraham said, God will provide. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together. You know the rest of the story, right? He bound up his son Isaac and lay him on the altar. And he raised the knife. And he was about to slay his one and only son whom he loved. And as he was about to thrust that knife, an angel of the Lord appeared. 
And God told Abraham, you passed the test. You did not withhold your son. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked and behold behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in this place, in the place of his son. Abraham was so focused in what God had told him to do that he did not notice the ram. It was only after Abraham was fully committed to obey the word of God. And as he was about to strike his own son, that God intervened. But God's worship still went through. The burnt offering still went through, but it was no longer his son Isaac. It was the ram that God provided. See, Abraham's perspective was, if this is what God is asking me to do, then God will do something about it. His own son saw, we have everything needed for the sacrifice. But where's the sacrifice? What could Abraham been thinking about? The two or three days, the journey that they had. From the walk that they had going up the hill. This is my one and only son. This is the son whom I love. And God is asking me to offer him back to him. So what did Abraham do after he experienced God's provision? He said, Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. We read that in the book of Genesis. But in the New Testament, we know of another person who was brought up on a hill. And he was nailed to the cross. This time, the sacrifice went through. It was not aborted. It went through. This person is Jesus Christ. And at his baptism, a voice from heaven spoke. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. But what did God the Father do? He sacrificed his one and only son back to himself to pay for our sins. The place of the skull called Golgotha, as Bible scholars map it out today, is the same mount, the same place where Abraham brought up his son Isaac. What Abraham and Isaac went through was preeminent of what Jesus Christ and God the Father would go through for you and for me. God's love is provoking he is provoking us to make a response. How will you and I respond to God's love? Oh, you can accept it, but you can also reject it. But please don't be indifferent. Decide what you will do with God's love. 
Decide how you will respond to God's love. Because God is waiting. He is waiting for you. Marivik's prayers, her questions were really prayers. And Jeremiah tells us, if you pray to me, I will answer you. If you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart. God has proven his love. His perfect sacrifice, his one and only son, Jesus Christ. It's up to you. God's love is proven. It's providing. It's a patient love. It's a pervasive love. And it is a provoking love. A stimulus requires a response. How can you respond to God's love? Romans 10 tells us, But what does it say? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. Many people understand what the Bible and Christianity is all about. But sad to say many people understand it only in their mind. But God is more concerned with what is in your heart. You can know all many things about Jesus Christ. But do you know him here where it really matters? See, it's so close. Paul is telling us it's so close. They say it's 12 inches, 12 to 13 inches. Which is the average distance between a person's mind and his heart. So Paul is telling us it's so close. So close you might even miss it. So how should we respond? Paul writes, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the best way that we can respond to God's love. Accept it. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. And what is God's promise? What's God's promise? Is there a doubt of what will what God will do once you do A and B? No. Confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. And believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead. And you are assured. Of salvation. How do I know? God has provided for it. God provided the sacrifice of His Son Jesus Christ so that you and I, anyone who confesses Christ as Lord and believes in His heart, God raised Him from the dead, need not worry, need not fear of where he or she will spend eternity because it is assured, it is guaranteed. You will spend it with God in heaven. Are you willing to respond to God's love? That's between you and the Lord. As the news programs say, Fox News at least, I report, you decide.
It's up to you. And I don't want and I will not end this message without giving you the opportunity to respond. So in fairness to everyone here this morning, if, if you would just close your eyes and bow your heads. No one looking around between you and the Lord. Have you come to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you confessed Him as your Lord, your personal Lord? Do you really believe that God raised Him from the dead and that He is who He says He is? The King of kings and Lord of lords, the lover of our souls. If you have not yet, then please, Tell the Lord. Maybe even in these words, Lord Jesus, I need you. I know and acknowledge that only you died on the cross as payment for all of my sins. This morning I confess you as my Lord. And I believe that you rose again from the dead. And I claim your promise to me that I have eternal life. And no one can snatch me out of your hand. Perhaps you're here. And you missed out something along the way. That you claim to be the sheep of the pasture. But you're not obeying the Lord. Will you just in your own words confess your disobedience and ask the Lord to help you? God's love is a providing love. He will help you. More than you can ever ask or think, He will help you. He promised. To give you everything for life and godliness. To provide a way of escape. To give you wisdom when you need it. Father God, we are here. And we know that you are here with us. And listening to us. Lord, I pray. That right now you're hearing the prayers of those people who are yet just now coming to faith in you. Will you confirm and affirm in their hearts, Lord, that you are accepting them as is where is. That nothing to fear from this day on. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, who are struggling with obedience. Lord God, will you just Come to our rescue, Lord God, and help us to obey you and prove our love to you, Lord God. For indeed, Lord, when we say that we love you, it means that we're willing to obey you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, that may my prayer, Lord, is no one leaves this place unchanged by the power of your word in our lives. This is our prayer with thanksgiving and in agreement, Lord. In Jesus' name we ask. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Praise God.
Now, if you're here with us for the first time, you're in for a surprise. We don't just go home. We break up into smaller groups and discuss what we just listened to. So, and then after that, we have lunch, all right? Oh, by the way, that lunch is free too. So let me just ask you, oh, by the way, the kids, the young people, you heard the announcement, right? You're free to go. So, Paul, would you bring them out? And for those of us who are not as young, okay, what attribute of God's love do you appreciate the most? All right? What attribute of God's love do you appreciate the most? And then, as a provocative question, what can you do this week to, promote, to provoke someone to know God's love? That, is that good enough? All right, and then break up into your own smaller groups.